I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. My guest for the next two episodes is Jenna Ziegler of The Comical Colon. Jenna lives with ulcerative colitis and a liver disease called primary sclerosing cholangitis, or PSC. PSC is known to be associated with IBD. She was diagnosed while in college, and IBD upended her schooling and her future career on a few different occasions. However, Jenna has landed on her feet, and in this part one of two, she'll tell you how she managed to keep her sense of humor through flare-ups, dropping out of school, and a bathroom accident in a big box store. Stick around to the end to hear Jenna's five tips on how to become an empowered patient. Jenna, thank you so much for hopping on the phone with me today and our social distancing time. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I wonder if you would tell me about your diagnosis and maybe a little bit about sort of the first couple of years after your diagnosis and what your challenges were during that time. Yeah, definitely. So I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in 2014. It was literally a month after I transferred from my community college to my four-year university. So I was super pumped. You know, I'm finally living on campus. Um, I lived in an apartment with eight other girls, and I started getting those symptoms. I started getting the urgency, the blood, the the pain right after every single meal I ate. And it was really saddening to me because I was so ready to be in this university environment. I was ready to start making friendships with all these wonderful, wonderful girls I was living with. Um, And then I started getting these symptoms. So what I did is I was like, okay, this is not right. Something is, something's wrong. Something's wrong with my body. So I went to an urgent care because at this time I had never heard of IBD. I went to an urgent care and told them my symptoms and they said, you're fine. This is normal. Everyone experiences blood in their stool at some point. Give it a few days, give it a week and it'll go away. (laughs) And I was shocked. They didn't do any testing and I was like, okay, you know, I'll give it a few days. Maybe it, it will go away. A few days passed did not go away. So I went to another urgent care to get a second opinion. And unfortunately, they said the same thing. So really, from the very beginning, I had to start advocating for myself, because I knew something wasn't right. So I went to my primary care physician, who is normally a very calm person. And I could tell he was a little bit worried. There was a little bit of concern in his face. He urgently referred me to the gastroenterologist in his network, um, who I saw just a few days after that. We did the colonoscopy, and I was very quickly diagnosed. Um, I was in a pretty severe, I was a pretty severe case at the beginning, so it was a very uh, quick diagnosis for me once I got in the right hands. It was a rough few months um, right after my diagnosis. Of course, they, they put me on prednisone hoping that that would kind of help until we got me a long-term drug. And so eventually we did start trying some other oral medications and they would work for a few weeks to a month. And then I would just fall right back into that flare. And it was really worrisome. 
that we couldn't find something that would work for more than a month. Um, so this lasted for about five months. And at this time, I was surrounded by these eight other women who were trying to help me. They were they wanted to know what was going on, what they could do to help. And I was just overwhelmed. I isolated myself, which looking back, I should not have done that. <laughs> so I'd basically go to class if I could and then go in my room, do homework, sleep, repeat. And uh, it was not, it, it was the only way I could think of to cope at the time. Um, I think part of it was the prednisone. Um, if any of your listeners have been on prednisone, I'm sure they all know <laughs> that it can really impact you mentally and emotionally. Uh, so I was really dealing with that. So that lasted for about five months. I was still in touch with my doctor, of course, that whole time as we were trying to figure out something more long-term. And I was visiting with her one day and she said, we, we got to get you on a biologic. We have to, otherwise you're going to have to go in for surgery. And this, this scared me so much because I was only, you know, five months in, in my diagnosis. And then I was dealing with the possibility of surgery or going on a biologic. So I started Remicade. And thankfully, after about month, month and a half of being on Remicade, I finally found permission. And it was amazing. Finally found that drug to um, take that pain away. I could start eating normally. I was able to um, taper off prednisone and was able to socialize again um, because I felt comfortable doing so. And yeah, that was kind of my first few months of my diagnosis. So it's interesting in talking about the bloody stools because that's really mm -hmm. the symptom that is most often pointed to as being sort of the hallmark of ulcerative colitis. Mm -hmm. I know when I first started having symptoms, it was not like a little bit of blood. <laughs> like it was a lot. Yes. And it gets to the point where basically you're going to the bathroom and it's all blood. Yes. So when you went to see urgent care, were you in that kind of a situation and they told you that this was normal? Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was, um, I, of course, the blood, the bloody stools did get worse over time. But yeah, I was definitely in that state when I went there and I was just, I was just taken aback. Right. But then your primary care physician right away knew this, we, we need to get you seen right away. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right away. He was like, yeah, that's not normal. Uh, and he's like, we need to get you to a specialist. <laughs> exactly. Do you remember when you had the colonoscopy? First of all, that had to be a shock learning that you had to have a colonoscopy. And then second of all, when you came out and they told you what they found when they were in there looking, do you remember how extensive the disease was or did they describe that to you at all? I can't say I remember the details um, for this first colonoscopy. Honestly, I don't remember much of my first colonoscopy or even my doctor really telling me. So I'm not sure why I can't remember that. Maybe my brain is trying to like, I don't know, block it out or something. Tamp it down, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I know over the years through other colonoscopies, it's been said that I had pan colitis. So it was my entire colon. So I would not be surprised if 
it was the same for my very first colonoscopy, just my entire colon. I also had stomach ulcers at the time of my diagnosis. Yeah. So they found stomach ulcers too. Oh, wow. Was that related to the IBD or was it an H. pylori thing? It was H. pylori. Yes. Yeah, it was H. pylori. So on top of the prednisone, I was taking all these other (laughs) medications to make the ulcers go away. And it was really crazy because being on these medications, they all have their specific rules, right? So some of them are like, take an hour before eating or don't take with this kind of medication. And so I had to make myself a chart uh, listing what time in each day I was going to take each medication. And it was it was a lot for me to deal with at the time of my diagnosis. I was just, it was it was a lot. Right. You go from being a healthy young adult to having to make a chart so that you're making sure that your medications aren't interacting with one another. Yes. That's a lot. And then you're also trying to be at school and, like you said, transferring from your small school to a larger school. Mm -hmm. So this was a lot for you to deal with at the time. And how long were you at school? So I uh, was there for two years at the university, thankfully, because of Remicade, I uh, I was able to finish my bachelor's. Um, so yes, I, I did miss some class, but I was able to continue and bat- and uh, graduate with my bachelor's in the time frame that I was aiming for. Um, so I was there for two years and I had done community college for two years prior to that. Did you seek out any accommodations while you were at school? So I did not when I was uh, pursuing my bachelor's. I was in touch with my professors. They were super understand understanding. I did go for accommodations later down the road. I actually, after I graduated with my bachelor's in business in 2016, I was working in human resources for a while. And then after that, I did decide to go back to school. So I decided to go back to school. I wanted to be a registered dietitian. I realized I wanted to do something more in the health field and work with patients. And I think my IBD diagnosis had a lot to do with that. So yeah, I did go back to school in 2018 and I flared, which was crazy. I flared about a month after going back in and this was the worst flare that I've ever had to deal with because not only was it the pain this time, but it was brain fog. It was lack of focus. I, I could not retain what the professors were teaching in class and I had never ever experienced that before, not even at my diagnosis when I was pursuing my bachelor's. So that was a new experience for me. I remember I was in chemistry lab one day and I had the urgency. It it had all come back. All those symptoms had come back. And I literally ran out of the room, like tearing off my lab coat, like throwing my goggles on the table and like just barely made it to the restroom. And it was it was devastating. I was, I was so excited to go back to school and, you know, specialize in something that was more health related. And I did have to ask for accommodations. I had my GI write me a letter and I sat down with one of my professors during office hours. And I was like almost crying during the whole conversation because not going to lie, it was, um, It was a little bit of a hit to my ego because I had never had to ask for help. I don't like asking for help when I 
was pursuing my bachelor's, I was able to maintain A's. And I, I could not do that when I went back to school. Uh, I started failing my exams, failing my classes, which is why I asked for accommodations, deadline extensions, and uh, things like that. Which again, the professor was extremely understanding and it made me feel a lot better. But it was a monumental moment in my life just realizing, okay, it's it's okay to ask for help. Like it's not a bad thing. So it was hard, but I'm really glad that I did that. The, the brain fog, I think it's interesting because I think we don't talk about it that mm-hmm. much. So how did you feel? You're thinking I'm a young person, all of a sudden, I just can't pay attention the way that that I used to. Did you immediately think that that's part of the IBD experience or, or how did you feel about that? Yeah. So I, I knew immediately cause that was the worst flare I'd ever experienced. So I knew the brain fog was definitely a part of that flare, but it really, it hit hard because I was in this, uh, in these chemistry classes and we would do, you know, sample problems in class and all the other students would raise their hands and because they would know the answer. And I would just be sitting there at my desk like, how did, th- what, how did they figure that? I don't understand. And it was just like the accommodation situation. It was very, very emotional for me because I had never experienced this in school before. And it was so difficult. Did you bring it up to your physicians at all? I may have mentioned it, but I don't think we had like a full on discussion about it. That's a good question. I don't think we really had that kind of discussion, which looking back, I'm like, why did I not bring that up? Why did we not discuss that? Because it should be discussed. Yeah, I think part of it, though, too, is that you were in a very bad flare and everyone is just trying to keep the trains running and keep you out of the hospital and maybe try to avoid surgery. And so these other little things, not that it's a little brain fog, is actually kind of good, (laughs) but um. These other things sort of fall by the wayside, mm-hmm. but it might not get dealt with until later or, right. or discussed. Right. I know that people in our community often experience it and discuss it, but I don't see it very often addressed from a sort of clinical mm-hmm. perspective. So I don't even know how it would be addressed in that way, yeah. but I think it's, it's um, I'm glad that you brought it up so that we could talk about it a little bit. In the midst of all of this, you founded the Comical Colon. I want to hear about where you came up with the name, what drove you to to create this platform, and why you began sharing your story in such in a more public way. Yeah, so I started the Comical Colon blog uh, in March of 2018. Uh, originally, it started as just a way for me to document everything I had been experiencing, kind of a way for me to remember all these things. I had so much going on in my head that I had to get it down on paper somewhere. Uh, So originally, yeah, it was just a way for me to come to terms with everything that was happening. It was very therapeutic. I'm a writer, so I loved writing about this because it's such an important part of my life. And then eventually, people started to reach out to me and say, hey, thanks for publishing this. I related to it because of X, Y, Z. And I realized, oh my gosh, people are reading this. (laughs) Did not really think about that at first because it was originally just just for myself. 
So then it kind of transformed into this really amazing tool where I continue to document my journey, but then also supplement my posts with links and resources and tips and, you know, life hacks for people with IBD or if their loved ones have IBD. So that was really cool to see that transform. And I named it the comical colon because I, humor kind of gets me through. (laughs) And I wanted to, I talk about my medical experience in kind of a more lighthearted way, which for me is, that's just my, that's my voice. I'm I'm an optimist. Uh, I laugh a lot. And so that just naturally carried over into my writing. I named it the comical colon because so when I was first diagnosed, maybe about a month after my diagnosis, I I was at uh, Walmart with one of my friends, one of my new friends who I had just met like that month. And uh, I had an accident in the middle of the store and she, so I ran to the restroom and she immediate was like, what can I do to help? Like, what do you need? So she ran and got me some new undies and pants and it was just this crazy experience. I don't mind sharing that. I'm very open about it because it was something that uh, would have mortified me. And yes, it, it was of course embarrassing, but also like you you got to look back and you can't help but laugh. It's, it's funny. It's, um, you know, it bonded me and that friend. We skipped a few friendship levels in that one day from that one experience. She's one of my best friends to this day, but yeah, so I just, you got to find the humor in things or you got to create the humor in things. I think it's so, so important when coping with this disease. I think that's right. And you take a serious topic, but you approach it in a positive way. Even so, how challenging was it that first time that you clicked publish or the first time that you posted on your Facebook page or your Instagram? What did that feel like for you? I was kind of unsure what was going to happen with it. I was excited because, like I said, I'm a writer. So there is something really exciting about publishes publishing something on the web uh, where other people can see, even if that's not your intention. Um, like for me, it was just for me at the beginning. Still, it's exciting. It's it's out there. And then when people started commenting and emailing, that's really when I got even more excited and it, be, it, it felt more real. Um, yeah, there was, it was a really cool experience. All right, Jenna. So you went back to school for a little bit. It didn't quite work out, but you have been able to start a new path. And so uh, what are you doing? What are you doing now? How do you, how do you spend your time, Jenna? <laughs> yes. So I am the social media manager for a company called Galley Health. They're a startup tech company based in San Francisco, and they're creating an AI-powered app um, to help people right now with IBD and eventually to help people with many other chronic illnesses. So um, yeah, after I attempted to go back to school, I, I did end up having to drop out due to that flare. So after all that happened, after I healed, I found Galley, and I started as an ambassador Um, which if you're not familiar with Galley, it's super amazing because the team actually takes um, their, all their ambassadors have IBD. So the ambassadors help create the app, make it better. So it's really from people with IBD to people with IBD. 
So it's very, very cool. So yeah, I'm their social media manager. And I know, Amber, you are an ambassador. And I love working for them. It's amazing. I'm, uh, it's honestly, when I, when I had to drop out of school, I was devastated because I thought I was letting go of my dream job. I thought I'm never going to be a dietitian because you do have to have like a bachelor's or a master's for that. I was so far behind in the classes that I needed. So I was like, oh man, I'm, I won't ever get to do that. I will just have to do, you know, go back to human resources or, or do some business oriented stuff, which is just not where my heart was at anymore. But no, dropping out of school actually let me find my dream job, which is working with Galley and doing social media and and directly interacting with others with IBD. It's so amazing. I, I never would have guessed that it would have worked out that wonderfully, but I'm so glad it did. So glad I dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> How often can you say that, right? I know. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I want to ask you this because my writing, my sort of you know day job, revolves a lot around IBD, although I write on other topics as well. But what is it like for you having most of your day-to-day is revolving around your IBD, dealing with your own IBD, and then also all day long, you're doing social media for an IBD-focused platform? I love it. I love it. I It's... IBD and chronic illness is such such a part of me, such a part of my life, such a part of my writing that it's I love being that involved to this day writing about it and helping others is still therapeutic. And I've obviously I've of course come a long way with accepting I fully accepted my diagnosis and and what that means for my life now, but even to this day, it's still therapeutic to just be involved in that and to help others. Because I know when I was first diagnosed, as I said, I isolated myself. And that's just a big, like, try not to do that if, if you can. And so I'm able to help others find that community. And I just, I love it so much. Has that helped you in acceptance and in learning to live with your your own health challenges? Absolutely. Absolutely, it has. Yeah. I think for me, the more I think about it, the more I internalize it, the more I write about it, the more I understand it and the more I come to terms with it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a part of my life and I fully accept that. And it's, it can be a challenge, uh, but so many great things have come out of that. And I think if you keep searching for or creating those silver linings, there's always going to be something amazing that can come out of it. Jenna, you are clearly the embodiment, the epitome of an empowered patient. (laughs) So I wonder if you would help everyone by giving us your top five tips for being an empowered patient. Absolutely. So my number one tip, this is so crucial and important, is to find a doctor, whether it's a GI, a hepatologist, or whatever doctor you need, uh, to find one that you trust, one that where your personalities mesh, um, they feel comfortable answering 
all your questions. Cause if you're like me, I go in with like a gazillion questions and there, uh, I appreciate it when my doctor is willing to answer all of those for me. My second piece of advice is to make sure your doctors communicate and talk with one another because IBD is so complex and it includes so many extra intestinal manifestations, which involve their own doctors. So I have a, you know, my eye doctor, I have my rheumatologist. Um, and it, it's so important that they send each other test results because your GI needs to know everything that's going on. So you can continue to be on the right medication for you. And I will say, don't feel bad about reminding your doctors to send certain test results to others in your medical team. Don't feel bad about that. Um, I do it all the time, usually with the big stuff like the biopsy or colonoscopy. Um, so don't feel bad about that. It is important. Uh, number three is to stay in touch with your insurance company and check your claims online if you can. I know a lot of insurance companies have online portals where you can check your claims and your balances and all that. Um, once a month, at least I go in and I check the claims, make sure that they are correct and I'm not being charged for more than I should be. Yeah. With all these medical conditions there, it, it's just very important that you are not getting taken advantage of. Not that they would do that on purpose, but, um, you just got to stay on top of it. Number four, I would say to find a pharmacy that can help with your special medication needs. And, and just like a doctor, don't feel bad to, to check out different pharmacies until you find that staff that's willing to work with you and get to know you. So you get your medications on time, essentially. And then lastly is prioritize yourself uh, or prioritize self-care, surround yourself with community and try to keep your sense of humor. And it's so important that you surround yourself with what makes you happy, with what brings you peace. Um, for me, it's journaling and exercising and spending time in nature. But, you know, get creative, uh, figure out what makes you happy and prioritize these. Focus on them every day. Thank you so much, Jenna. It was really great talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Hey, super listener. Thank you to Jenna Ziegler of The Comical Colon for being an authentic voice in the IBD community and for her patience in waiting for her episodes to air. You can find Jenna at her blog, thecomicalcolon.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at thecomicalcolon. Thanks for listening, and don't forget that you can find me, Amber Tresca, all over the interwebs as About IBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as at aboutibd.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or teach a friend how to use their podcast app and how to subscribe. These are little things that are important because they help me keep making my show as well as continuing with my blog and my activism work. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Sound engineering is by Matt Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio. Well, it's really funny how, like, 
we're both introverts, but yet, like, this is what we do. And it's like, even though it makes us, you know, takes us out of our comfort zone, we still choose to do it, which I think is really cool. My comfort zone is a dot to me. My comfort <laughs> zone is so far away that I don't, I, I don't exist in it anymore. I don't exist in my comfort zone. <laughs>